When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. This episode of Gators Breakdown is brought to you by Shark Coatings. Get a different kind of gift this holiday season. Visit sharkfloorcoatings.com when you need professional floor coating services done right the first time. Want more Gators Breakdown? Join Gators Breakdown Plus. Starting at $3 a month. Get access to unique episodes, plus a blog, chat room, giveaways, shoutouts, and more. Gators Breakdown Plus is furthering the interaction with fans and listeners like you. Head to gatorsbreakdown.supportingcast.fm to join Gators Breakdown Plus today. Gators Breakdown. Because there's never a dull moment in Gator Nation. The Gators Breakdown Podcast is ready to go. I'm your host, David Waters. You can find me on Twitter, at GatorDave underscore SEC. Coming at you right here on a Monday night, a couple days after Florida loses to Oregon State 30-3. to Joining me right here is... Co-host Will Miles. You can find him on Twitter at Will Miles SEC. His site, readandreaction.com, and on YouTube uh, at Read and Reaction. Uh, Will, that was um, – everybody knows the intro. Everybody kind of knows the moniker for Gators Breakdown. There's never a dull moment. Well, there hasn't been a lot of exciting moments either. <laughs> I was going to say, the second and third quarter on offense, they were pretty dull the other night against <laughs> Oregon State. Seven total yards. That was a debacle, man. Oh, man. Yeah. Look, I don't think neither one of us knew that game, or both of us kind of knew that game was, you know, probably not going to uh, go too well for Florida. It wasn't going to look too pretty uh, for the Gators, but I, I still didn't expect what we saw uh, at times of that game. Uh, and then losing 30 to three, kicking a field goal at the very end, as Will said, the seven total yards of offense uh, in the second or third quarter, uh, especially because that came on the heels when you know, Florida was moving the ball, but then shot themselves in the foot with penalties. And Will, I know you went in really depth with that 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 angle of stuff. I went in depth with uh, that that part of it on the episode, uh, the post game episode uh, as well. It was uh, just a continuation, my friend, of the last couple games of the season. Well, on the bright side, we didn't have any illegal formation penalties, so at least we got that fixed, but didn't get the false starts fixed, certainly didn't get the special teams fixed. Um, The quarterback position, I think we expected that to take a step back, but even when plays were there, they weren't made. The offensive line wasn't any good. They couldn't open up any holes for the running backs and eventually allowed the the Oregon State pass rush to get home. Um, it was just all around the defense couldn't stop anybody. And, you know, we can talk about all the turnover and all the players that weren't there and that sort of stuff. But really the only guy on defense who wasn't there all year was Trevez Johnson. So it's not as though 
And Ventrell um, Miller yeah, most and, of the season. Yeah, yeah. and Ventrell Miller. So it's not it's not as though the defense was missing like 17 guys. So I, I heard a lot of people afterwards go, how can you say it's embarrassing? We, we're missing like half the roster. It's like, well, all the guys who declared for the portal, all the guys who weren't playing weren't guys who were out there all year long. Um, you know, the, the bowl game is supposed to be fun. It's supposed to be competitive. You're supposed to want to go out there and play, um, especially when you're in a first year with a head coach, right? Like it's a little bit different in that cotton bowl in 2020, when everyone's sort of coming down off the fact that you might've had an opportunity to make the playoff. This is one where theoretically you're playing for playing time next year. And, uh, I wouldn't say a lot of people earn playing time against Oregon state. That would be my, my, my not so, uh, you know, my, my uh, Mr. Obvious statement of the day here is not a lot of people are in playing time after that performance against Oregon State. Yeah, well, you know, it, and it is hard to know what to take away and how much to take away is probably uh, one, one, one angle of this. You know, we do know there, there, there was a lot of roster turnover, but as you, you know, stated, that there wasn't a lot of impact players uh, there. Did it maybe mess with depth a little bit? You know, you might be able to sell me on that, but. You know, it's not like uh, the starters were out there dominating. And look, this was a good Oregon State team anyway. So uh, Florida was going to have to play a good game. Uh, if they weren't going to be able to play a good game for whatever reason, uh, I guess a 30-3 to outcome uh, was what you were going to get uh, in, in a lot of fashion. So um, not too much more on that game, honestly. And I used to say you can, Will's, Will, yeah, you can read Will's thoughts. Uh, there at readreaction.com. It goes uh, to in-depth. A lot of stuff that we'll hit tonight, but it, it will – We'll probably reference that bowl game a little bit, but we are going to go through and kind of talk about what we've learned uh, about this team and Billy Napier uh, throughout the six and seven season, uh, his debut season for the Gators. And you know, we'll get into that. Also, before we sign off, of course, early signing period starts on Wednesday. Uh, and just a week ago, Will, we felt really good. They're getting some good vibes, getting some good momentum. And then uh, now a week later, the vibes and momentum seem to be kind of disappeared uh, for, for disappearing for Florida uh, as we head into Wednesday and Thursday uh, there for the Gators. So plenty to get into on this episode, Will, but I don't know how much good news is going to be in this one. Well, clearly Bob Redman is banned from the show. And uh, no, I'm, I'm, I'm kidding. But we had him on last week, and all of a sudden, you know, everything was very was very positive, and and not just. I mean, I think Bob. Uh, sort of was reading the tea leaves and thought things were yeah, going in a positive yeah. direction. I think you and I were too from, from the things that you particularly were hearing behind the scenes and obviously things change and Okanlola is now with the, uh, with the Miami hurricanes, at least temporarily, maybe, maybe some, maybe they can flip him after, <laughs> uh, before signing day comes. But, you know, luckily I don't have to come on here and eat pancakes. I suppose that's the, uh, that's the silver lining and everybody won't have to see me fill my fat face for the, uh, for the pancake challenge with Okanlola. But look, I mean, it's depressing, right? You go out there and you lose a game. It, it, it's different. There's a difference between losing and getting embarrassed. And and that really, to me, is the difference in the bowl game. If Florida lost by 14 points and they'd just been overmatched by Oregon State, Oregon State pulls away in the second half because they're able to sort of run them over. And clearly Florida's running out of gas. That's one thing. But just the, the litany of errors that went on in that game against Oregon State, I think, points towards something deeper. And you even mentioned it in the podcast that you did right after the game, that it was a continuation of the the end of the season. And then you go into recruiting, and last year, you know, Harold Perkins and Jacoby Matthews and a couple other guys are on on the actual national signing day did not end up going Florida's way. Those were all guys who were on the radar but did not go Florida's way. And you look up and Harold Perkins is just terrorizing people for LSU this year. So you see what guys of his ilk are able to do. 
there's nobody in this 2023 class right now with Harold Perkins type of upside. Um, you know, there are guys who may end up being all Americans or guys who may end up being all SEC, but there's nobody who you say is a rock solid guarantee to do that. Perkins was one of those guys. And so you start looking at a guy like Okanlola, you start looking at Desmond Ricks, you start looking at Cormani McLean. Those are all guys who have that ability. And those are the guys that you got to start bringing in. So it's disappointing when you look at it and say, you know, if I if you gave me a choice between Miami's recruiting class or Florida's recruiting class right now, I'd tell you that I want Miami's recruiting class. And you know, Mario Cristobal is in the exact same situation as Billy Napier, coming in from Oregon um, to Miami, having to start having to get his transition class put together. Had a terrible year there down in Coral Gables. They went five and seven. They weren't any better than Florida was, but they were getting the job done on the trail, which gives you hope for what's coming up in the next couple of years. And and as of right now, the Florida program is sort of stuck in that 9, 10, 11, 12 range in terms of recruiting. And, you know, we were getting that before. Now, look, I think this class is more talented than the ones that Dan Mullen brought in. And I don't think there's any doubt about that. The recruiting has been underwhelming thus far to finish here. And the season obviously was underwhelming to, to finish the season here. And so, look, what are, what are we left to hold on to, right? I think that's the thing that you got to start looking at is what do we what do we take from this that's good? What do we learn? I think that's a big part of what we're going to talk about tonight. And, you know, it's not all peaches and cream, and we're not going to pump sunshine. There are things that need to improve. And, you know, we'll be honest and tell you when that's true. And um, it is what it is, right? I mean, it, it's this is a long-term rebuild if you're going to rebuild it the way these guys have tried to do it so far. There you go. That'd be the first thing uh, I say we've learned. It's not going to be a fast build. Not going to be a fast turnaround. It is going to take some time. Uh, but before we get there, everybody hit that like button, hit that subscribe button if you ha haven't done so yet right here on YouTube. Um, may not like uh, a lot of what we have to say, but <laughs> at least, uh, you know, like, as Will said, we're going to try and keep it real as we can. I won't necessarily say negative words. We'll try and keep it real. And, and look, it was a six and seven season. That, pretty, that tells you right there. There's not a lot a positives uh, to take away there from this season for the Gators. But hit that like button, hit that subscribe button. You guys check us out here every Monday night right here on Gators Breakdown. And check us out, Gators Breakdown Plus, Discord, uh, really on fire right now. All the conversation going on uh, on the hills of the bowl game, leading up to uh, early signing period. Uh, lots of conversation going on right there uh, on that side of it. So, yeah, let's get into, Will, right now, what, what, as we said, what we learned uh, this season and – uh, we can, you know, kind of bullet point it and, and kind of kind of go from there. But, yeah, I think we can, you know, say not a fast build. This is going to, uh, unfortunately, probably take some time uh, and we'll probably have to be patient. I think the, the thing I wrote down, as I said, that we got a long way to go. Just be good. Forget about elite. Mm. And that that's the disturbing part, right, is that, you know, you could put an elite quarterback on this team this year. They go eight and four. Like that defense was so bad that it, this isn't a one player fix. Even if you get an elite quarterback, it's not a 10 player fix. I think Neil Blackman tweeted this is a, the defense is a two recruiting class problem, which in some ways is true, right? I mean, you figure all the attrition that Florida's had over the past few years and, you know, it caught up with them. And, and I think there are other reasons, and we'll talk about that in terms of what did we learn, I'm sure, as well. But that, that this isn't, you know, we, we played some teams well, but, you know, that, that's not what Florida, the Florida standard is, right? The Florida standard is you sort of play a game where you don't maybe show up completely and, hey, you find a way to win that one. Or maybe even you show up and that's the one you lose. But, you know, look, 10 and 2 is the standard. And to get back there on a fairly regular basis, it's, uh, it's going to take a little while. Yeah. And, you know, I went by this 
went back to this the other night. And I know you've brought it up too. And, you know, we did have the kind of somewhat, uh, okay, I'll say faster. You know, I won't say instant success, but faster success. You're one of Jim McElwain. Uh, and then somewhat instant success with Dan Mullen. And they, those, of course, ended up uh, not great. McElwain fired year three, Dan Mullen fired year four. Uh, those great early starts end up not amounting uh, to much. Didn't uh, take Florida uh, to the next level. But, you know, we came out of those seasons for McElwain. It was, well, okay, well, we found a way to get to Atlanta. Maybe that's something to build on. Okay, no, it wasn't. For Dan Mullen, it was, okay, Kirby was still in his infancy at Georgia. We may have our guy, you know, he's only about a year behind Kirby, uh, a couple years behind Kirby, uh, and maybe winning on the field for Dan Mullen will take the next step in recruiting, and, and, and he'll close that gap. And, and that never happened. But those were the thoughts coming after year one, where you have early success, and maybe you close the gap somewhere. For Jim McElwain, it was closing the gap versus Alabama. You had played him first year SEC championship game. Okay. Dan Mullen, it was close, maybe trying to close the gap towards Georgia. Uh, but for here, for, for, for Billy Napier, it's, well, you lose the season with the ending record. Uh, and as you said, Will, we can't even ha- kind of, you know, have the same conversations of, you know, where does this put Florida in the pantheon of elite in the SEC? It's, can we now get a team that will beat Vanderbilt? Can we now beat a team that will beat Kentucky? And, you know, as you said, when the, at least the next step for Florida is when the games you – I wouldn't even say supposed to win. I guess we should say Florida's supposed to win those games. But now it's just go out there and maybe put a, a product on the field to where you go out there and, and I'll still say win the games you're supposed to win. Yeah, well, I mean, I think there's a couple of things. One is that Napier has definitely decided to build the program at this point in a different way than Mullen and McIlwain did. I mean, Mullen and McIlwain was perfectly content to ride the must-champ defenses there for a couple of years to his level of success, and Mullen was perfectly content to ride the McIlwain recruiting classes to his his early wins, right, with Felipe Franks and um, LaMichael P. Ryan and, and even Kyle Trask and, and a bunch of guys who were able to provide – early, early success, even though, especially in that 10 and three first season, I think a lot of that was kind of a mirage in terms of their ability to win some of those close games. McIlwain and Mullen both went, were really, really successful in one score games. Uh, Napier, not so much. I think he was three and three this year in one score games. And so if he'd have gone five and one in those one score games, do we feel differently? I think we probably do, Mm -hmm. but we still need to realize that it was fool's gold when, when McIlwain was winning all those one score games, it was fool's gold when Mullen was winning all those one score games. You can say, well, you know, they were better on field coaches. That may even be true. But winning one-score games is not a sustainable way to win in college football. Even Alabama plays close games every once in a while, and Saban doesn't always come out on top. The reason Saban wins national championships the way he does is he doesn't get into those games very often. So he goes 1-0 and or 1-1 and in a season in those one-score games. And so, look, you look up at the end of the year, and they're 11-1 and or 12-1, and 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 they're going to the national championship, or they're going to the playoff. And same thing with Clemson, same thing with Georgia, same thing with some of these other – same thing with Ohio State, right? And 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 so avoiding those is the is the benefit. It's interesting. You go look back at, at Saban and Smart, and I think we talked about this like a month ago after the loss to Vanderbilt. There's a lot of coaches. In fact, the guy right before uh, Nick Saban had a really bad loss. Mike Shula had a really bad loss on his resume in his first year, and he was jettisoned relatively quickly there from Alabama. So it's just a bad loss doesn't necessarily mean anything, but everybody has struggled in their first year. The question is what happens when you come out in that second year? What you see with both Smart and Saban is they started blowing people out of the water in year two. And so that, that to me is going to be the thing that should drive hope for Florida fans next year 
year is look napier's not going anywhere but if they play a bunch of one score games against next year you pretty much know that that you know we're not going to get to where we need to get to if they're blowing people out and by blowout i mean like 20 plus points you know five six seven opponents well now okay now we look at it and say he's on that same trajectory that those guys were maybe it'll take him longer to get there um and and in many ways that's because those guys are there right i mean you know when steve spurrier took over there weren't there wasn't that behemoth sitting there in the sec and even when urban meyer took over there wasn't that behemoth in the sec now you got two of them Mm-hmm. And so you're good. And Brian Kelly's no slouch at LSU either. So you're going to have to, you're going to have to beat those guys and you're going to have to find ways to win those games. And, you know, look, Napier, it may be a little bit of an uphill climb. I think we know that now based on what we've seen, but um, you know, there's still an opportunity to salvage things here. I, I don't think this year was like a complete loss, but I don't think it was great. And I think right. especially the last three games leave a bad taste in your mouth. But um, you know, I, I think, the Mullen and McIlwain era has left enough of a bad taste in my mouth that I'm not going that I feel like I especially overreacted to those 10 and three and 10 and four seasons to start with. And I'm not going to do that here. I'm going to look at this and go six and seven isn't good. There's a lot of things to be concerned about. We need to be looking at recruiting significant, you know, specifically in terms of where we're going. We need more elite recruits. There's all those different things we can talk about. But I do, th- I do think you don't want to overreact to the first year because Napier has decided to build the team by turning over the players rather than relying on the previous regime. And so, you know, I, I think we're going to have to give him the time to show what he can do with his evaluation because that is one of the other things that I think we learned this year is that he's pretty good at that. There you go. Let's go to one of my next points, and we'll go a little bit positive here. Think about the best players on the team, Will, and I think, I think we've, we've brought this up before, but Osiris Torrance – um, now, granted, you know, you, two, two of the transfers you brought from Louisiana, you had an in there. You took advantage uh, of that end. Osiris Torrance comes in automatically, one of the best offensive linemen in the country. Goes on to win a ton of awards uh, this past week. Um, will be a very high pick in the NFL draft. Uh, a guy you developed at Louisiana, you brought him with him. That development at Louisiana transferred to the SEC. That was a big question coming in. Uh, is could these Louisiana transfers, Osiris Torrance, Montreal Johnson, have success in the Sun Belt? Would that mean they have success in the SEC? Uh, Osiris Torrance absolutely did uh, there against some of the best competition. And now also uh, you talk, talk about Montreal Johnson as well, uh, and you pair him with running back Trevor Etienne. I mean, the running backs uh, were the best, most consistent skilled players uh, here for the Gators offense, and both uh, were in their first year at, at Florida. Montreal Johnson still a very young player, transferred from Louisiana, and, and probably one of the ones, probably the bigger question of if, could he hold up uh, in SEC play, and he did, did a good job uh, there. Yards per carry, pretty high there for him. And Montreal Johnson comes in as a true freshman. Uh, I mean, Trevor Etienne comes in as a true freshman. And going back to that storyline, we thought it was going to be Lorenzo Lingard as the third running back when the first game, the first depth chart comes out. It is Trevor Etienne. It goes out there. And from right away, Will, we could definitely tell this is a different kind of back. He he goes to the outside versus their, uh, versus um, Utah, gains some yardage, and we could tell there's a different type of speed, a different type of player there uh, as a true freshman for Trevor Etienne. So I think you could almost say your top three players are Osiris Torrance and the two running backs, Billy Napier players. And then you throw in – Statistically, your best receiver, Ricky Pearsall. Now, Justin Shorter doesn't get hurt. He's they, they're, they're up there, but Ricky Pearsall comes in. is an instant impact at the wide receiver position. And then the players, 
you go on all the transfers and throw in true freshman Trevor Etienne, you can say, and they're all on offense, Will. So that that's, I think, speaks for something as well. Billy Napier decided to bring in transfers on the offensive side of the ball uh, and then start a true freshman, or not start a true freshman, but get a true freshman in early as Trevor Etienne. And right away, uh, you could tell these guys were instant contributors and they were all in their first year, all brought in by Billy Napier. Yeah, I think it's more than just that. I mean, if you look at Shamar James, ETN, Chris McClellan, Devin Moore, Kamari Wilson, they were all the blue chip guys, and they all contributed. Um, Devin Moore got hurt, obviously, but Kamari Wilson had 30-plus tackles. McClellan had more than 20 tackles. ETN had over 700 yards. Shamar James had more than 40 tackles. And so you look at what is coming in terms of year two. You have Austin Barber, who's a redshirt freshman, but ends up being all SEC – or all freshman SEC. Same thing with ETN and James. I believe they were honorable mention all SEC. So you're starting to fill out that all SEC freshman team, um, which is an important benchmark. And then you mentioned the four contributing transfers. But what's interesting is when you go back and look at the actual 2022 class, you've got 26 guys total when you talk about transfers and recruits. You had five top 300, all five contributed, and you have four contributing transfers. So 12 of the 26 guys there are contributing. So 50% contribution rate in first in the first year. And now you're getting an influx, an influx of talent significantly more than what you got in that first, in that first class. So they had five top 300 guys. They got way more than that. I think they got 16 in this class who are in the top 300. It may be a little bit less than that. They only have 18 four stars. They're not all in the top 300, but they've got 15 or 16 guys in the top 300. So he doesn't even have to hit 100%. If he hits 60% in terms of those guys being able to contribute their freshman year at the same level as James Etienne, McClellan, Moore, and Wilson, you're going to see a significant increase in productivity um, on the field. And you expect to see significant jumps for those guys who played their freshman year, right? Mm -hmm. Now, you're still dealing with the same issue, which is if you end up with any sort of injuries, do you have anybody <laughs> to step into that spot? And quite honestly, Florida was pretty injury, injury lucky this year. Yeah. There were not a lot of injuries that really caused problems. And that's eventually going to hit them. But, you know, look, I think if you hit at the right spots, right? If Aiden Mizell and Eugene Wilson become big time wide receivers, nobody's going to forget. Nobody's going to sit there and go, well, you know, we should have gotten guys in the top 15 because they were sure things. You just have to hit, right? If Jaden Rashada turns out to be a really good quarterback next year, same thing. But what, what he is. The the positive side is that he's been able to evaluate to get these guys in, to a place where where they're able to do it. I mean, if you look at Mullen's first class, he had 10 of 24 who contributed. He actually had 13 top 300 guys, but only six contributed and then had four contributing transfers. But even if you look at that, Kyle Pitts was actually a guy that I would say wasn't a contributor. They sort of wasted a year of Pitts mm -hmm, not being right. in there, yeah. even though he's fantastic. The top two wide receivers were Jacob Copeland and Justin Watkins. Copeland obviously was a disappointment, especially early on. Watkins was dismissed from the team before he ever even got to camp. And then you got Van Jefferson and Trevon Grimes were really the contributors at the wide receiver spot transfers. Andrew Chatfield, more contributions at Oregon State than he actually <laughs> had at Florida. Um, Malik Langham and, and Marlon Dunlap. Um, and then you got Amari Bernie and Trey Dean as sort of the contributors from from that class. And obviously, I think there's some people who would prefer to forget some of the plays that those guys have been on the field. I would say if I look at the 2018 class, the best player on the team, the best recruit brought in was Kyle Pitts. The second best was Damian Pierce. Third best was Richard Garage. And I think the fourth best was Evan McPherson. Mm -hmm. And so I think you can already look at the 2022 class and say, Florida, you're not going to get to a kicker. You're not getting to Trey Smack by the fourth guy in this particular class, right? So in terms of 
is more talent coming in? Yes, it is. Now that's a different question than is enough talent coming in to beat LSU, Georgia and Alabama. But I think it's a step in the right direction. So look, I, yes, I think Napier has has proven through both the transfers and the recruits that he's bringing in that his evaluation skills seem to be pretty good. But he's going to have to continue that because uh, some of the other things we've learned this year. Yeah, so Osiris Torrance, the running backs, Trevor Etienne, Ricky Pearsall, some of the better players on the team. Throw in Anthony Richardson, Austin Barber, Ventral Miller, and Mario Bernie. And those are about among you know, the top 10 players on the team. Uh, and that's mostly Napier uh, players that he brought in through the transfer portal uh, and that one true freshman. Uh, one more positive, Will, but kind of kind of get back to the uh, other side of things is, you know, throughout the season, the team, you know, Beside you know, the, t- the team fought back uh, in the losses, and I know that might sound you know cherry picking and stuff, but you know if we're trying to pick out things that would that we learn, well, the team did fight, uh, and it may not amount to much, definitely not uh, amounted to wins, uh, but it definitely amounted to you know some, some exciting games uh, there and giving Florida uh, a chance to win those games at the end there. But you know, storming back versus Tennessee, storming back versus LSU. Uh, Florida State as well, uh, when that third quarter wasn't going so well. Uh, and then the Vanderbilt game, uh, too, I can't believe I had to bring that one up. But, yeah, I had to bring that one up, too, for Florida. Trying to make uh, something happen at the end uh, to, to to win that game. So, yeah, it, it, if you want to, like I said, maybe even cherry pick for some positives here uh, before we kind of get back to the the the, the bad part of the 6-7 and seven season. The team did fight back for for, for Napier and, and, and for their teammates to get back in these ballgames. Yeah, I think that's actually what was disappointing most about the Oregon State loss is that you felt like the team coming into the third quarter was going to fight a little bit, and then it just didn't feel like there was anything left, and and that sucked, right? I mean, you sit there and you watch it, and you go, I mean, I'll tell you about halfway through that third quarter, I'm like, wow, I'm glad I didn't rearrange anything to fly out to Las Vegas. I'll tell you that much. And, and, you know, even then, I mean, it would have been fun to go to Las Vegas. Vegas, yeah. But, you know. I don't know. Maybe, maybe, hopefully, we don't get the Las Vegas Bowl next year. But if there's an opportunity to go back out there, I might do it just for that. But um, yeah, it's it's one of those things where um, there were times where Florida lost, and you had to always enter things in by saying, "Hey, no." You always had to enter the conversation by saying, "No moral victories." But you looked at, it, you said, "God, they're they're really close in some aspects of things." Um, and then they'd come out the next week and completely lay an egg, whether it was the offensive side of the ball or whether it was the defensive side of the ball. You know, I mean, you think about that Tennessee game, and you're like, all right, there's some momentum there that we can really do something with. And then they come out and can't do anything on offense against Missouri. And, it, you know, it takes a pick six to essentially keep them in the game until Richardson can make one or two plays. I will that- c- continue there because my next point was can't handle momentum. So just continue yeah. there. Well, you think about the LSU game where they come out there and you're like, oh, well, LSU's been bad on offense all year. Touchdown, 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 touchdown. <laughs> Six straight touchdowns to open up the game. The Georgia game we expected. You got the weird Jekyll and Hyde first half and second half against Texas A&M where they can't stop Haynes King, even though Haynes King couldn't get, couldn't put up any numbers around it against anybody all year. You've got the, they stop Spencer Rattler and then Rattler comes out and can't be stopped the next two games. I mean, so it wasn't just Florida that was Jekyll and Hyde this year i mean south carolina had a little bit of that in them too so um look i think that's what happens when you have a team that just is inconsistent they were inconsistent within games they were inconsistent within quarters they were inconsistent within drives and you know so when they hit a big play it looked great but they were not able to sustain you know a six play eight play ten play drive really all year long and and you saw it again against oregon state where they'd get like right into the beavers territory and then everything would bog down the difference is they didn't have a guy at quarterback who could pop off a 20-yard run and and save them 
And, you know, Richardson didn't always pop off a 20-yard run and save him. But sometimes he did, and that's why they wound up six and seven <laughs> instead of three and nine or something because because they had that guy back there to be able to do that. Yeah, as far as uh, in game, but also for the season, we'll throw it up there the results one more time. Just can't handle momentum, Will. Uh, you just started the season that big win versus Utah the very next week, the clunker versus Kentucky, um, and then as you said, not really able to. Uh, you know, build on a good performance versus Tennessee. Yeah, you had the back-to-back wins versus uh, Eastern Washington and Missouri, but you know, still couldn't uh, – even those two wins you know, didn't amount – it set up a big game versus LSU uh, in the Swamp. And then the inconsistency of that game where you know, it was a 10-point game but Florida had to storm back uh, uh, in, in that game. But then the big one, I mean, we all felt really good about the Texas A&M-South Carolina games. No matter how bad those teams were at the time, and South Carolina ended up being a pretty good team uh, after that, you were, you definitely were riding a wave of momentum. You know, Florida should have had some confidence going into Nashville, couldn't put it together, a disappointing loss there in Nashville. Florida State's a good team, uh, but you would you know, hope you'd find a way to go beat a rival uh, there. Your last rival of the season, going 0-4 for 4 against you know Tennessee, LSU, Georgia, uh, and, and Florida State. But a lot of it was – just when you were feel good about this team, they would let you down. And look, that's some in, in some cases, that's the mark of inconsistency with, with a first-year head coach. Uh, I don't want to necessarily throw it all on that. You know, you, uh, not every inconsistency, not every negative that happened this year. I don't think you can just chalk up and say, "Oh, first-year head coach, it happens." But man, this momentum one—that this is the one that really—that's the one that really gets me. You know, there should have been uh, maybe some grow, especially late in the season. Maybe some grow-up moments. You go get those late-season victories versus Texas A&M and South Carolina. That should have amounted to more. Well, it's just so goofy that the only quality win on the entire schedule is Utah. <laughs> so they start out the year with a really, really high-quality win. And then anytime they played anybody decent, just completely fell over. Like Kentucky, not a great team this year, no. but but really dominated that game from about five minutes left in the second quarter until the end. Tennessee, really good team. Florida wasn't really in that game. Obviously, they come back at the end, get the onside kick, but you know, let's be honest, that kind of would have taken a miracle. LSU, they really weren't in that game either. They gave up six straight touchdowns. Georgia, it wasn't even close. I get that they brought it back to one score, but it was 28 to three at the half. Come on, guys. And then, you know, obviously the loss to Vanderbilt's bad. And then Florida State was a good team. They lost that one. They gave up 42 points a game to their main rivals, Florida State, Georgia, LSU, and Tennessee. You give up 42 points a game to those rivals. I mean, that's the problem. They started 0-4 before the season even started mm. because if you're going to give up 42 points to those four, now you got to find six wins somewhere to make it to a bowl. In some ways, it's actually a miracle that they made it to a bowl game. When you factor in the Kentucky, just like you know, whatever that was from Anthony Richardson in that game, like this season could have been worse. I mean, that Utah game could have been a loss too, right? I mean, if Cam yeah. Rising doesn't throw the ball to Bernie or if the ball bounces off of Bernie's shoulder pads and they get another play, um, you know, it, it's entirely possible that 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 Utah game is a loss and that, or even the South Florida game was a loss. And can you imagine what this would be like if we were sitting here? Now, we wouldn't be having a bowl conversation at this point if any of those <laughs> games had gone the wrong way. But, you know, there are a couple of games in there. I mean, one-score games, Utah and South Florida go Florida's way. You know, the Tennessee game is a one score game. It's a loss. Missouri one score. It's a win. So again, I look at it and I go three and three. They're kind of lucky to have, uh, 
to manage that. And again, I think the Florida state game 45 to 38, but it really wasn't that close based on the third quarter and how they played Vanderbilt 31 to 24, but it really wasn't that close. And, and that's sort of the, the, the theme is whenever they played anybody who was up to play them and even a decent team, they really struggled and they started behind the eight ball just because of how bad the defense was. And um, you know, we can, we can, it was funny all year long. I'm sitting there going, Anthony Richardson isn't bad. He's been inconsistent, but he's not bad. The defense was consistently bad all year long. And, uh, you know, out of all the things that Billy Napier and staff need to fix, like it has nothing to do with the offensive side of the ball. All right. We will get to the other side of the ball <laughs> in that defense. Do we uh, have to? Well, I guess we do. Yes, 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 we do. And, and some more uh, and some more uh, to go through there. But first, a uh, message from our friends at Shark Coatings. You know the goosebumps you get when Florida takes the field? Or when that 63-yard Hail Mary actually works? Or the thrill of a game-winning interception in the end zone? What a rush. You can experience that same rush every day at your home with Shark Coatings. We'll cover your old, ugly concrete with a beautiful industrial concrete coating and a warranty that lasts longer than most careers in professional football. So whether your garage floor is for parking, partying, or working out, Shark Coatings can transform it. And if your pool deck is starting to look like a bulldog, old, cracked, and smells like pee, Shark Coatings can transform that too. Shark Coatings is easy to clean, stain resistant, and is 100% antibacterial and antimicrobial. We're easy on the eyes and on the maintenance. Gator Nation is worldwide, and Shark Coatings is based right in the heart of it. So whether you live in Brunswick, Georgia, or Live Oak, Florida, down to Ocala, over to New Smyrna Beach, or anywhere in between, Contact us for a free estimate today. Learn more at sharkfloorcoatings.com. That's sharkfloorcoatings.com. All right. And we'll, we'll, we'll go to the defense uh, before we circle back around some other things. Um, it's a success <laughs> overall for the program. Yeah. No success from the defense. And look, you and I, don't let me speak for you. I'm sorry. Uh, but at least for me, I did put it simplistically. This defense will be better just because Todd Grantham will not be on the sideline. And boy, that was no, no, that that, that, that did not turn out that way uh, at all. Um, 2020 defense bad, 2021 defense bad, 2022 defense bad. Uh, and no, there really wasn't much improvement except for turnovers. That was really about it that you can really point to. Uh, and I think, you know, besides creating those turnovers, there's not much to point to, Will. One disappointing aspect for me, the five stars that you have on that side of the ball, Jervon Dexter, Jason Marshalls, Jason Marshall, did, they did not get any better uh, in year one of Patrick Tony. I do think Amari Bernie uh, improved as a player in, in his final season. Uh, you know, the safety play, Patrick Tony's position, very, very underwhelming. Uh, you had some experience back there on that end. And those guys never really stepped through to make much of a difference, a consistent difference on that side of the ball. And that's Patrick Tony's position that he's supposed to coach. And going back to the preseason, Will, I mean, it all sounded good on the surface of, you know, reading your keys and knowing where to be and knowing how to tackle and knowing the correct angle to take. And we saw some of the same mistakes we've seen the last couple of years with this defense of lack of angles and lack of angles uh, amounting to bad tackles. And then, of course, um, <laughs> speaking of tackling, that became an issue and stayed an issue. Too many times we saw Hendon Hooker and Jaden Daniels and Jordan Travis make spectacular plays while under duress in the backfield. Too many times this defense just could not finish plays. Yeah, I, I think I think there's a couple of things. I want to go back to what you said. 2020's defense was awful. 2021's offense was actually a little bit better but had bad spurts. 
this defense blew both of those away in terms of how bad it was and how bad it was consistently and how bad it was against particularly running quarterbacks. Like you think about Jaden Daniels, you think about Jerry Bohannon for USF. Um, you know, Will Levis was really the only quarterback they were any good against. And mm-hmm. a lot of people were good against Will Levis this year. So, you know, he'll go in the top five in the draft. But And, and, um, and Spencer Rattler, I guess. <laughs> well, yeah, well, that's true. That's that's one that you should probably um, – that whole game, though, was just weird. But um, I, I think we learned a couple of things. One, Patrick Tony isn't a miracle worker, um, that he wasn't just able to take the the team that uh, – that, that, or the defense that Florida had made it better. But I think we also learned he may not be good. And there's still a jury out on whether he's actually a good mm-hmm. defensive coordinator. And I'm not willing to sit here and say, yeah, I think he's going to be good. I haven't seen anything this year that really indicates that he's going to be good. Like I was extraordinarily disappointed and very critical of the game plan against Florida state. I thought it was pretty clear that Jordan Travis struggled against zone defenses and would eat alive man to man defenses. And the reason was, is that he'd be able to run against it. And sure enough, every third down they were bringing blitzes. Travis was able to get loose and he was able to run. And that's not hindsight is 2020. That's in my preview. I said, this is how you stop Jordan Travis. And the minute that the minute they came out in a single high safety on a third down, I went, Oh no, like this is what they're doing. And look, I'm not a coach who spent years looking at film and who 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 spent years preparing for this, but I could see it, right? You go look at the Wake, Wake Forest tape, and this is how they stop it. Now, look, I'm not sure this defense would have stopped Florida State if they had set in zones because they're not really good at doing that either. But the fact that there was zero identity, zero improvement throughout the year that, you know, we're sort of hanging our hats on being able to stop Haynes King and Spencer Rattler, like, a week before he happened to get his confidence back, um, I, I think is indicative of things. Like this is a team that's supposed to be able to go out and compete with Georgia, compete with LSU, compete with Tennessee, and they just got blown off the field by all of the teams that you're that you're aiming towards. And look, I mean, is is that is that talent? I mean, certainly attrition matters. It would have really been helpful to have Moma Diabate or Tyron Hopper or Chris Bogle or Chester Kembro, but you know, those are all guys who either before or right after Napier came in were were allowed to leave and if your defense needs those guys in order to succeed well you know don't let them go to utah don't let them go to don't let them go to missouri right that's all part of the recruiting bit is bringing the guys in or keeping the guys in in place i mean i remember there was a story about napier basically shaking uh, i think it was bogle's hand and saying hey we need to talk or something when he came mm-hmm. in and bogle decided to go someplace else well you know what that that matters too that you weren't able to convince the guy to come in and and i don't know exactly what bogle was able to accomplish this year but Man, after watching this defense, I can understand maybe why he didn't want to stay and play in it. It was bad all year long, and and it didn't get better. That's the thing. Is if if they'd been bad early in the year and then it got better over time, mm-hmm. okay, that's one thing. But it was just the same mistakes, the same stupid crap, the same bad, you know, the same. And we um, thought, and we thought so. You had those six good quarters, and it was like, okay, maybe they have found something. And yeah. nope, well, it was kind of just back to. Well, I, I think I think what they found is a couple of opponents who were going yep. through some of the same growing pains that they were, right? Certainly AM was no great shakes this year. We thought they might be able to get it back together and they sort of headed in the other direction until they won their last game against LSU. And it was the same thing with South Carolina. Like they they were a team that really sort of found themselves the week after the the loss to Florida. And in fact, getting buried by Florida in some ways, I think sort of freed them up to be able to go out and say, to heck with it. We're just going to let it all rip against Tennessee. And all of a sudden you hit a couple of passes and everything sort of opens up. And, and, you know, you mentioned earlier, Florida's inability to sort of deal with success um, or failure. And this was one of those where it just felt like the way I described it when Anthony Richardson declared for the NFL is that he, 
he was a player who was sort of, um, you know, his play was an avalanche. It was either everything was going good and it would all continue to go good until one thing went bad. And then it's like, okay, it's an avalanche in the other direction. And, and, and this team was sort of like that on defense too. It was, you know, Hey, we get out and we get one stop their inability to stop anybody in the red zone. Like that, that was the thing that even stood out against Oregon state, right. Is they stopped them once for a field goal. Um, because they actually stopped them. They made kind of a nice tackle, kind of the guy stumbled a yard short, and then Oregon State screwed up the conversion and didn't line up right, and so gets a false start, and that's how they get the stop. And then the second one, they have they get it where Gold, Goldbranson just runs out of bounds with a second left, almost let the clock run out, but that was one where the defense let him go right down the field um, after converting a third and one earlier on sort of a weird fake busted play. Yeah. Um, you know, those are the things that happened all year. Like the fact that Oregon State was only up 10 nothing was a miracle there in the first half and in the second half they just kind of put it on them and and uh, you know that's kind of what the story was all year long was if a team got into the red zone against florida it was seven it was not three and they're gonna have to figure out a way to stop that because when the field shrinks you're supposed to be able to take things away and they just weren't ever able to take anything away yeah well and then not to go into like specific play calls or anything like that but we do know game management uh play calling at times a lot different a lot to learn here uh, in the SEC for Billy Napier. Uh, and specifically, and I was just saying, not necessarily a specific play or anything like that. There's a, there, there's a, there's a litany of them uh, to go through. But the right before halftime, right after halftime uh, for, for, the, for the Gators, that continued there uh, in, in the bowl game as well. But that just seemed to be an issue uh, of being able to, whether you didn't trust your quarterback to go out there and make the play, whether you didn't trust your defense out there to not give up a, a, a quick score, the – the play calling, the game management before halftime, and then whatever they happened in the locker room after halftime, you weren't able to stop teams coming out of the uh, coming out of halftime. weren't able to put drives together coming out of uh, halftime that would you, know, you you had a chance to maybe close the score, maybe a chance to go two for one in Florida, uh, just for whatever reason couldn't do it. But around that halftime mark, you know, like middle eight, a lot of coaches point to uh, game turning decisions, game turning plays happening in that middle eight. And Florida was just putrid there most of the season. Yeah, well, and this is one of the things where I think the noise about an offensive coordinator is is probably fair, and it's never going to stop. And that, that's what happens when you do unconventional things, right? Is that you do something that's a little bit unconventional, so you can get that second um, offensive line coach in there, and you say that gives you an advantage. Well, that's that's all well and good until you get stuffed by, by a team in the bowl game, and you got nothing left, um, and, and and you can't move the ball. And I think in many ways, it, it reminds me of uh, the movie Bull Durham, where the guys, the minor league players walking around and he's got fungus on his shower shoes. He's like, you can't do this here in the minors. You get to the show, you win 20 games and hey, the press will call you colorful here. It means you're a slob. And I feel like it's kind of the same thing at Louisiana. You can walk around and make these kind of mistakes and no one's going to crucify you for it. Right. You go to Florida where the big lights are. You better be winning 10, 11, 12 games if you're doing things unconventionally. Now, look, the unconventional things may end up paying off in the long term, but you're going to have to take the hit right now. And, and that's one of the things I think that we learned is that the minute something goes wrong on offense, everyone is going to point to the fact that you don't have an offensive coordinator, that you've been doing things unconventionally. The minute you screw up any sort of clock management, it's going to be, well, you've got too much on your plate. You need to offload those sorts of things. Look, I don't know whether that's the appropriate answer. It feels like they have enough people that they should have a guy in his ear telling them what to do for these sorts of decisions. But the fact that they're coming out in the second half and just getting absolutely blitzed, 
in just about every game that the the four in and the four out is really a telling stat in terms of their just ability to actually manage a game and understand football situations where you know look you give up two straight touchdowns to Tennessee game over you give up a touchdown to LSU coming out of the half game over like you got to bow up you got to make the stop third and one or fourth and one against uh or fourth and two against Oregon State the other night you, you can't give up the fake like you just can't, mm-hmm. right? You got to understand that that's got to be a safe, uh, like, and, and this is one of those things where the discipline comes in too. I haven't really heard anybody talk about this, but you get the 15 yard penalty on a late hit after the blocked field goal. So you're kicking off from the 20, which gives Oregon state good field position to start with. You get them, you get them stopped, but it's near midfield when you get them stopped rather than maybe at like their own 35 yard line. I'm a lot braver calling that fake punt. In if it's at midfield than I am if I'm back at my own 30 or 35. So even those little details just seem to elude the team. And and that that eventually at at some point rolls all the way up to the head guy. Yeah, definitely left a lot to be desired there. As far as pure play calling is needing an OC, you know, I I, I don't know. I'm not fully on board with that, but at least give me an OC if that's going to help Billy Napier manage uh, a game better. I think, you know, there's two, there's a couple ways uh, to, to, to look at that, but. I think we'll get a clearer picture <laughs> there next year because, Will, the last point I'll go to uh, developing a quarterback. Uh, you had AR coming in. I don't think you probably would have found many people out there higher on Anthony Richardson coming into this season than I would have been. <laughs> I, I was pretty high on, on Anthony Richardson and the, the explosion, the capability, the potential that the quarterback had. And it really just didn't come to fruition, whether that be Billy Napier's fault, Anthony Richardson's fault. Uh, but, you know, did not the, the quarterback position did not develop like I thought it would uh, throughout the year, and I look, I, it, it, it's hard uh, to 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 know where to place that blame. And I know um, when things aren't going right, we'll ultimately fall on the head coach when a lot of other things also go wrong. Uh, but at the same time, I don't think Anthony Richardson did much to to, to help himself. But you know how much um, how much can be put on Billy Napier not to get the most uh, out of the quarterback position. I think once we have more to go by we might can do a little bit of revisionist history come back and look at this and maybe see uh the issue was more player or more coach but at this moment at least we can say anthony richardson did not develop into the quarterback that we thought he would yeah that was one of the things i had listed as as what do we learn and the way i wrote it was i said the great florida court the next great florida quarterback isn't on the roster yet right that it wasn't anthony richardson and that's valuable to find out right it's not jalen kitna for obvious reasons and it's not jack miller we just found that out in the bowl game right and so you now know that now maybe 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 it's max brown but i think that's probably highly unlikely which means you've got jaden rashada coming in you've got dj lagway coming in and then who are you going to bring in in the transfer portal and the quickest way to turn things around is to have a guy who can mask all of the different holes you've got in different places right like if you've got an elite quarterback who does not who is able to execute your offense and execute it well you're not losing to Vanderbilt. You're not losing that game to Kentucky. You're a little bit more competitive in some of those other games. You're going nine and three, ten and two. And that's kind of, I think, what Napier probably needs to show in in year two to really sort of get some of the people who are doubting him back on his side. He has other things he needs to show for me to be back to be like fully in his <laughs> camp in terms of that sort of stuff. But I think in terms of on-field performance, that's probably what you're looking for. And so things do become important in terms of who can you bring into the transfer portal, right? You got Anthony Richardson leaving. Kitten is off the team. Jack Miller isn't it. 
So who are you bringing in, right? Even if you think Max Brown is great, you still need people to back him up. Is Rashada going to be ready the first day he comes in? Or are you just going to hand him the job? If you are, do you need somebody to back him up? Or are you going to go out and get a guy like Grayson McCall or Devin Leary or somebody else who's going to come in through the transfer portal and be uh, maybe not the next great Florida quarterback, but be a serviceable Florida quarterback or a consistent Florida quarterback um, that we haven't had in a really long time, right? I mean, Emory Jones wasn't consistent, and and Anthony Richardson certainly wasn't consistent. Kyle Trask was, and even with and th- this is the rub is even with Kyle Trask firing at all cylinders there in 2020, the team still went eight and four, and that goes back to they're going to have to fix some stuff on the defense, even if they find the next great Florida quarterback. So I know people are going to want Rashada to start right away. I think in many ways I want Rashada to start right away, but that's more because I want to know what we have early on but we saw Felipe Frank start right away in 2017 and that didn't turn out real well in that yeah. 2017 season so I do think that there needs to be some some deference paid to you know who's co- having a lot of competition in camp and making Rashada win the job if he's going to actually end up being the starter next year especially to start the year but um the the problem is is that you look at most teams and you go okay like we've got a okay defense all we need is a guy to make the engine run and if we score 45 points a game it'll be fine and i'm not sure that would have been good enough to go eight and four this year i think if you just scored 45 points a game you would have been playing one score games against your rivals and your rivals probably would have been um you know there there were a couple of games there where teams took their foot off the gas and florida was kind of able to come back in those i'm not sure that that happens if you've got a guy a better guy at quarterback i'm not sure how much better the record would have been just because the defense was so bad so um Look, I think it's clear, though, and, and it's valuable, right? I think we came out of last year, and one of the problems with Mullen, one of the reasons that he was dismissed beyond the recruiting is, is that everybody looked at Emory Jones and said, we know he's not the next great quarterback. It looks like you might have the next great quarterback behind him, and we had hopes that Anthony Richardson was going to be that next great quarterback. He wasn't, at least not this year, but you know, I think the promise was still there. And so that's the question to me is the guy next year is going to have to be somebody who sort of gives you that hope that even if he's not great this year, that he's going to have the ability to do that. And I'm suspecting Rashada probably has that, um, at least in terms of in terms of winning over the fan base, Rashada is probably the answer there. But uh, I, I think we both think they're going to go through the transfer portal, bring somebody in. Yeah, we'll see uh, where that goes. It kind of goes into the storyline uh, a little bit. But, yeah, there's a – Will, anything else you want to put on there for kind of – what you learned this year? I think we hit yeah, I think I, I think on the good side, we mentioned him a little bit, but I, I think it's worth mentioning specifically that Trevor Etienne has the potential to be special. Yep, right. It, it's not just that he's productive. It's not just that he was productive for a freshman. It's it, he has the opportunity to be special. And so you and think what about was what the stat Nick, the game showed the other day: the highest yards per carry for a freshman, minimum hundred carries. I think was what the bowl game showed the other day. So. Yeah, I mean he he's been fantastic all year long. And even it's not like he's just got straight line speed where he's where he's Mm-hmm. You know, busting off a couple of 85 yard runs, and that number is is skewed. He's got one. He's got one really long run. He's got a lot of 16, 17, 18 yard runs. He he has a lot of runs too, where hey, it's third and six. Napier gives him the ball. He should be stopped, you know, three, four yards in. Instead, he's he's got a little bit of wiggle and he's able to get past the defender and push it and get a first down. There are a lot of hidden plays that ETN had where he brings value, not just from being a guy like Dalvin Cook, who's gonna, you know, outrace you to the edge and be able to go for a home run, but he's gonna be able to get you those tough yards inside. So I think from a good thing, I think that's something that we learned is that ETN has more 
Like I think Montreal Johnson's a very good running back, but mm-hmm. I don't think he has the uh, I don't think he has the potential to be special. I think ETN has the potential to be special. And then on the bad side, I think what we learned is that discipline wasn't just a Mullen problem. That you know it needs to be fixed, but I do think we should be concerned now that this is three straight regimes where they've had discipline issues. You had McIlwain with the credit card scandal, you had Mullen with the shoe toss and all the other things that were going on, and now you've got all this just litany of penalties and and undisciplined penal undisciplined penalties, undisciplined play that's happened in the last three games. And so the fact that you know we sort of thought that was all going to be fixed with Napier coming in here, that needs to be fixed next year, right? I mean, there needs to be enough people that you can yank someone off the field again. I. I I just I don't know where at, it came from. Well, like I, it wasn't I mean, that big of an issue until the last three games. Yeah, but the thing that I really worry about is, you know, Torrance had that had that late hit on the quarterback. Yep. And Kamari Wilson wasn't in there on the next play, right? Mm. He's still out there. So the mistakes are being made and guys are not being taken off the field for mistakes even when they're 6 and 6. Right? Like what do you really have to lose by bringing <laughs> some by bringing somebody in there? In the last game of the season. Oh, he's going to get beat. Well, geez, like that's been a problem for this defense. Just, you know, let, let the guy get beat. So, I haven't seen an accountability at least in terms of snaps, who starts, um, you know, those sorts of things throughout the year. The only time we might have seen it a little bit was after that Tennessee game. Trey Dean was injured the next game, but you know, look, he might have been legitimately injured. And, you know, you had Kamari Wilson start that one. Other than that, it's been basically the same starting lineup all year long. And, you know, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over. And certainly the defense has given up touchdowns over and over and over again. And there haven't been a lot of adjustments that have been made. I mean, you know, when we had Redmond on last week, he was talking about Chris McClellan, thinking that he hasn't had enough snaps. I think anybody who's seen him play thinks the same thing, right? That we've watched the defensive line get blown off the ball a few different times. And, and it would have been good to have McClellan in there more often. Look, I'm not a coach. I'm sure there are reasons that they have these guys in there. Um, you know, but I but I do think that one of the things we're going to be looking for next year, and one of the things I'm going to be looking for is not just does Florida have less penalty yardage. It's going to be do we get these stupid, undisciplined 15-yard penalties when there's no reason to get it? Like mm-hmm. you get the you get the block punt or the block field goal, you're returning it back the other way. Wingo goes down. And I think it was Miguel Mitchell comes up and just absolutely blasts somebody who's standing right on top of the guy who got tackled. Like, and then three Gators go up and celebrate with Mitchell <laughs> after he hit him. And I'm like, no, that was a stupid play. Like, don't celebrate with him. Like, he just cost you 15 yards. And yeah, it's on the opening kickoff of the second half. And yeah, we forget about that sort of stuff. But, you know, the fact that Florida, just the hidden yardage drove me crazy this year where they would, where they'd bring out, kickoffs that they could have fair caught Mm -hmm. and they'd end up at the 19 yard line or at the 10 yard line or you know because they got a holding penalty or those sorts of things they had maybe like two big time returns and did that really offset the fact that they were at a disadvantage in field position for every game they played in this year like if you look at the advanced stats i think i i think i said this a couple weeks ago but florida was Florida had a five-yard disadvantage in terms of start in terms of starting field position to their opponents for the entire year. So their opponents were starting like 67 yards from scoring, and Florida was starting like 72 yards from scoring. And that includes turnovers and all that sort of stuff. Right? Mm. So they had a five-yard disadvantage just starting the year and or just starting the game. And so it it's worth like a couple of points. And you've got these three one-score losses, and you've got the four, the four minutes going into half, and the four minutes coming out of half, and you start building all those little things. That was actually my criticism of Napier in terms of taking the field goal the first time against Oregon State and then going for it the second time. I'm okay with either decision. I'm not okay with changing your decision 
because nothing really changed in terms of the game. Like the the down and the down, the yardage, the the yard line, all that stuff was almost identical. And you look at the the percentages and the percentages were almost the same. And so if that's the case, then if you're going to play the percentages, then you play the percentage every time. You don't watch the guy miss a field goal the first time and then go, well, I mean, it's not like it's not like Mahalik pulled it and wasn't even close. He missed by like a half a yard to the left. So if you thought it was good enough to do the field goal the first time, then you do it the second time. If it wasn't good enough, if the opportunity to go for it was good the second time, then it should have been good for it the first time. You should do those things consistently because over time, if you make the right decisions, you're going to gain your team a couple of points here, a point and a half here, you know, three points on average here. And now it builds up to, hey, you're winning those one score games. And they, they just didn't do that this year. So from a discipline perspective on field, I think discipline within the coaching, not making emotional decisions, I will still stick with. I think there actually were some analytical reasons why going forward on fourth down against Kentucky might have been the right call, at least on the first one. I don't think there was any reason on the second one. And I think, um, I think that the mix of analytics with emotion is bad. You don't want to do it that way. That's a poor way of approaching things. You either want to do it via emotion and gut just every time or do it via analytics, but to do it, to try doing both is going to cause problems. Scared money. You make money. Don't make money or something, you know, something like that. And don't take the field goal the first time. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, All right, well, there we go. Yeah, what we learned this season, I'm sure we'll we'll kind of hit back on that all off season. Um, some things will kind of come back to our minds as we go through different aspects of this team. Uh, before we go on, a little bit of preview for early signing period starting on Wednesday. Uh, Wednesday, Thursday will be some important days for the Gators. Uh, as we said, you know, a week ago we got together with Bob Redman uh, from the Gator Collective after a huge recruiting weekend for the Gators. All the vibes coming out of that weekend. Um, with many top targets for Florida, was set up to have this big finish uh, for early signing day, early signing period. And exactly one week later, we're sitting back here, and that big finish does not look likely. It does not look like it's coming to fruition there for the Gators on the recruiting trail. Uh, Look, that started last week, as Will said earlier in this episode. Thursday, offensive lineman Samson Okanlola uh, committed to Miami uh, over Florida. That continued into Sunday. Mark Fletcher, the running back, uh, who we talked about last week, Florida, not that. Well, thought we not. I mean, we could say the not the visit added a part last week, but that vibe, that feeling, did not last a whole week. Um, we knew if he probably took that visit to Miami, it probably was not going to be good news for Florida. Fletcher takes that visit to Miami, commits to Miami on Sunday, and at that one, I mean. Granted, second running back in the class. It wasn't just top running back. I mean, you, I think you can get by with that one. Now, don't get me wrong. That is a player the staff wanted. They targeted him. They offered him. Thought he was coming after last weekend, only for him to not. But as some big miss, no optics, losing another one to Miami. Yeah, that one that absolutely hurts. Uh, but you know, kind of now we'll go into – uh, this week and just some of the targets. Now everybody kind of can look and who knows who committed, who is committed for Florida right now. Uh, and now we're just kind of looking at targets and who could maybe be deciding uh, for Florida this week. Uh, Quavery saw uh, there, James Smith, also five-star defensive lineman there from Alabama. Uh, I'd say uh, Bama for those guys right there. And then Jaden Platt, the tight end that visited not this past weekend, but the weekend before. Uh, we were wondering if he would take a visit to Texas A&M, who kind of had the early lead, then he visits Florida last weekend. Another player we heard a whole lot of good news about. 
uh, with the four-star tight end, did visit Texas A&M this past weekend. There was good news coming out of there uh, for the Aggies, so maybe a 50-50 battle with tight end Jaden Platt. And then we got to wait till Thursday uh, for the decisions of cornerback five-star Desmond Ricks and four-star defensive lineman Jordan Hall. Uh, and right now, Jordan Hall, I'd say I, I'd be leaning Georgia. I've been leaning Georgia for a while. I think Florida maybe did close the gap a little bit. Don't know if they ever got over the hump uh, on, on that one. I'd say Jordan Hall uh, and his decision will come down to Florida, Georgia on Thursday. Look for Georgia to be the pick. And then Desmond Ricks, the five-star corner, took that visit to LSU this past weekend. LSU kind of seems to be the team trending right there. Uh, so for whatever reason, Will, all the good feelings we had this last week. Well, not for whatever reason. We know most of the reason. But a week ago, all the good vibes, all the good feelings coming off of a big recruiting weekend, only for a week later. And, I mean, it is very possible. Florida strikes out, and whoever they have committed right now is who is in the class on Wednesday slash Thursday. Yeah, I mean, look, I, I think we all had high hopes for where this was going, particularly after recruiting started to pick up in in August and September. Um, but I think it's also important to look back at history and sort of look at the what I've been saying now for years since Dan Mullen was there, <laughs> since Dan Mullen was in Florida, which is that your class in, in August and September is typically, in terms of average player rating, kind of where your class ends up at the end. And Napier's actually been able to boost his average player rating quite a bit. They've they've I don't know whether they've processed him out or they've just had a couple of decommits at the at the lower ranking levels, but um, you know, they're up around 92. I think they're around like 90.5 in terms of average player rating there in August and September, but if, if they strike out on some of these guys, I mean, Walker, um, Platt, and obviously they've already struck out with Okalona and Fletcher, but if they strike out with Ricks and, and with Jordan Hall, well, now you're bringing in guys like Caden Jones, the offensive tackle out of New Orleans, potentially. And look, Jones is a good player, but he's ranked 489th overall. His average yeah. player rating is 88.61. He's going to drag that overall rating back down to where we started in, in August and September. And, and that's kind of where we're trending. Is, yeah. And the update that on the update on that one is he took a trip to AM and it's another one we thought was a slam dunk last week is now a 50 50 battle between Florida and Aggies. Well, so it turns out you can never let up, right? I mean, that, yeah. that you cannot assume that you've got a guy committed until he actually says he's committed. You can't assume that, you know, somebody's not going to take a visit. And especially in the world of NIL, you can't assume that the offer that you have isn't going to be up someplace else. And you got to either be prepared to up it or you got to know what your ceiling is. And look, I can't pretend to know everything that's going on in terms of these sorts of things. All I know is that Florida seems to have guys who are basically sitting there going, yeah, Florida, yeah, Florida, yeah, Florida. And then all of a sudden they're looking someplace else that screams to me NIL, but it mm -hmm. also screams to me that the organization is not putting the same emphasis on NIL as other organizations are. And that's something that they're either going to have to fix or they're going to have to win unconventionally. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I've been working on this article now for like three weeks. I'm going to have it out before early signing day, but you know, the class that most closely resembles what Florida is doing right now is an Oregon class from, from I think it's 2019 where there were no five stars, but really, really high quality players. So one of the things I'm going to do in that article is look and see where that, uh, you know, where that Oregon team wound up. But um, the reality is, is that if you look at the playoff teams, so from 2014 to 2021, there are five teams that have the highest rating in terms of average player rating, Alabama, Ohio state, Georgia, LSU, and Clemson. There have been seven national champions since 2014 to 2021 in, in the playoff era. How many of those do you think are in the top five of the rating? 
all freaking <laughs> seven. <laughs> Twenty. So thirty-six teams have made the have made the playoff total. Twenty-two of them are from that top five. <laughs> seven. No, eight titles. I guess out of, out of that. Yeah. So one, two, three. Four. Four, five, six, seven, eight, eight titles. Sorry, I misspoke. They've won all eight, all eight titles. The, and so, it, and for the vast majority of the time, the teams in the top five have advanced to the final, right? Like the teams like Michigan State and Washington and even Oklahoma and Notre Dame, when they get there, they don't make it to the Cincinnati. They all lose in the semifinal because when you finally play a big boy in that, in that system, it's actually why, as hard as it is for me to do, I have to root for Ohio State. Because I don't think Michigan or TCU has the firepower to take out Georgia, and I'm sitting there looking at it going, Ohio State may have the firepower to take them out, and oh my god, I can't deal with two straight national championships <laughs> from the Bulldogs. So you know, I, I just look at it and I go, what is the goal at Florida? And if the goal at Florida is a national championship, you know where you need to be. The map is out; it is very clear. This is since 2014. You look at the average player rating; it's Alabama, Ohio State, Georgia, LSU, and Clemson all eight national titles from 2014 and 2021 and a two and four shot at winning a national title this year, Georgia and Ohio state with Michigan sitting there at 12th and then, and getting their two straight years. So, you know, not as though they're that far off. So anyway, I just, I look at it. We all know what needs to be done and they're going to have to figure out how to get it done. And the fact that they may strike out before early signing day is just really, really depressing. Yeah. Sense of urgency absolutely is needed uh, right here from, from every level, um, as you said, you know, as we're if Florida's getting these good vibes and good feelings, you know, on the staff thing, okay, maybe push for some commits, maybe push for some public commits, and sense of urgency from administration boosters, getting more involved, more money involved. We know what it is. There's no sense in hiding behind a curtain. <laughs> we we know what's going on. There's money out there flying left and right. Uh, Florida needs more of it. Uh, so you know, we'll see if we can get a sense of urgency out there. But we'll. Definitely take a look at it all Wednesday. Who knows? Uh, signing day can have some surprises here. We'll see, you know, how desperate some certain people maybe get, and maybe that causes for some reaches or quote unquote. Well, here's a here's a, here's one. Will overpaying? You know, that's a very popular topic right now. Uh, but hey, you're worth what somebody's willing to pay you. So, and that's part of the sense of urgency, I guess, to for, for my side as well. You know, I, I put this way, I just don't think you can dig yourself a hole. Well, so the good news about college football is that four years from now, it won't matter who Georgia recruited this year. And four years from now, it won't matter who Alabama recruited this year. So when you get a monster class, you are catching up because inevitably the monster class from three or four years ago um, is gone. So you only need to put together two or three monster classes to actually catch up to these guys. So it's not like we are 10 years behind mm -hmm. in terms of what we need from a talent perspective. It's, if this was the way the NFL worked, we'd be screwed, right? Because yeah. I would be sitting there with 10 years worth of worth of recruits built up that they were able to dominate you with. That's not what happens. It's a two or three year cycle for most of these guys, particularly with the transfer portal. Right, you yep. know, guys who come into, into Alabama and we've seen it with A&M, right? A lot of guys transferring out A&M. And so, you know, there is the opportunity to catch up to these guys if you're able to put together two or three monster classes in a row. I don't think you can put together – I don't think very good gets it done in the SEC. I think I have a lot of evidence that suggests very good doesn't get it done in the SEC. I think very good might get it done in the ACC. It probably doesn't get it done in the Big Ten. Michigan's kind of an exception. It definitely doesn't get it done in, in the Pac-12. So, you know, we, we can we can start talking about, like, where you might be able to be a very good recruiter and succeed. Like, again, you can head out West, but as we get 
as we get Texas and U- Texas and Oklahoma coming into the SEC, as we get USC and UCLA coming into the Big Ten, like it's not going to get any easier, right? Like it's going to get even more difficult, and it's going to be even more chalk, I think, because you're going to have to face a better team. Like the the Vanderbilt games of the world are going to start to go away as you get these elite elite conferences, where you're going to play Oklahoma, Texas. Alabama and Georgia in a four week stretch. Good luck. You better have really good players if you're doing that. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, that's just the way the SEC is going to be. Yep. So we live here at some point Wednesday, uh, going over signing day, the good and the bad. Well, we'll probably break it up, uh, like that. You know, not if the, if the class is at top three, top five, top 10, doesn't mean there's not good parts of the class. Uh, we'll definitely go in it. We'll talk about the good, the bad, uh, there for, for for the class. Hopefully it will be a good day uh, in some ways on Wednesday. Maybe, like I said, some surprises, maybe some change of hearts. Like if we just talked about just a week ago, we were feeling good and now we're feeling bad. Well, those changes as we get to Wednesday can change in just a couple of days' time uh, as well. There's always those surprises there. It doesn't really necessarily seem to work out in Florida's favor. <laughs> a lot of those big surprises uh, sometimes seem to go the other way uh, here for Florida. But now uh, as we count down to early signing day, uh, we'll, um, you know, we'll, we'll have to kind of just pay attention to the next couple of days. Decisions coming, maybe uh, you know Wednesday and Thursday. Don't forget about Thursday. That's when Hall, Hall and Ricks will, will make their decision. So we'll see if we kind of hear some difference of a different thoughts on those two guys um, when Tuesday Wednesday rolls around. But it kind of be a couple of day storyline for the Gators and a lot of targets out there. So hopefully we can turn it around and make it a good storyline because yeah, two straight depressing days, Wednesday and Thursday, eh, not so good. Yeah, I mean at the end of this season and then how this is trending, I mean it's we need we need some good news. And I know Rashada, as I said, the good news we got him in the class, Lagway too. That's but that's kind of peeking ahead to twenty four. This has not been a whole lot of good news lately for the Gators on or off the field. So like I said, maybe maybe some. Maybe 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 that way in Vegas they found found some wild cards, you know, and there will and throw some throw some out this week. Put some of Hathcock's money on black and see what happens. See. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. Ah, uh, will anything else, man? No, nah, man. Just appreciate it. Look, I mean, I, I think obviously it's been a little bit of a depressing episode, but uh, certainly we appreciate everybody sticking with us all year long. You know, it's been five years now that we got this, that we've been doing this. So five years yeah. in the books, it's been, it's been fun building with building this with you, buddy. Just want to thank you for having me on here every week over during the, the during the last five years. And certainly thank everybody for listening. I, I you know, I, I hope that I hope people know that we don't take it for granted that uh, we get to interact and that we get to yeah. be a voice for this sort of thing. And, and I think it's, um, it's important to emphasize that at the end of every season that we really appreciate everybody interacting with us, downloading, listening, and and commenting and all that sort of stuff. So it's a blast doing this stuff. We wish the news was better coming yeah. out of 2022, and and we're hoping for better things in 2023. But we're not going to sit there and just wish and say, hey, there's you know unicorns and rainbows there at the end of the recruiting class if that's not really what's there. Like we need to actually say, hey, these are the things that need to improve because it's the only way you get better. There we go. Will Miles. You can find him at readreaction.com on YouTube, readreaction on Twitter at Will Miles SEC. I will, hopefully, when I get this thing edited, not a lot of people will know, but I will apologize if you're watching this live for the technical difficulties. Uh, if you're watching or listening to the recording, you might hear some, hear some weird pauses and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, it uh, caught me live. Caught me live a good couple times a night. 
I was going to say, this, this is the first time we've ever had a technical difficulty that wasn't my fault, so I'm just enjoying it. <laughs> there we go. There we go. So, hi, I am David Waters, host of Gators Breakdown. You can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SEC. Guys and girls out there, thank you for listening to this episode of Gators Breakdown.